Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone, and happy holidays. We are a week away from Christmas and two weeks away from welcoming in 2022. And since we are celebrating for the next two weeks, my guest this week is an actual winemaker, and she tells us about the process of making wine and why it's so special to her. I cannot wait for you to meet her. So let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for joining me again this week. I am really excited to introduce to you Sierra Zetter. She is a winemaker, and she is the head winemaker at Oak Farm Vineyards in Lodi, California. She has very big responsibilities, which we're going to talk about later in our conversation. She manages and organizes the production of all the day-to-day activities, including being in the laboratory. And she's also oversees all of the protocols for harvests and for samplings. She's in the mix with all of it. And she's very young. And she, she has a goal to be the number one female winemaker in the country. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Sierra Zetter. Sierra, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I am really excited to have you here because, you know, we have done quite a few shows of different aspects of women in wine mm-hmm. and we're having you here at as a an example of doing a really hard job that is typically held by or has historically been held by men because it's hard work. It's dirty work. But you knew at a really young age that this is what you wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about how you knew so young that this this was your passion and this is what you wanted to make your profession. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was born and raised in Lodi and I was the youngest of four siblings And really, when there's a lot of people in your family, you get overshadowed or you get kind of pushed to the back of the scenes, especially being the youngest. And my favorite part of the day was coming home from school or practice. And my parents would make me and my siblings eat family dinner together. It didn't matter if someone's sporting event went till nine. We always made it a point to sit down, the six of us, and have dinner. And I feel like I looked forward to that every day because I got to spend time with my siblings and talk to them. And we all kind of stopped from our busy lives to be together as a family. And so I would cook with my mom, cook with my dad and sit and watch my parents, you know, drink a glass of wine with dinner and kind of saw that wine brings people together. It helps gather people, put smiles on people's faces. That was kind of like the first part of me that decided that's what I want to do. I want to make wine. I kind of figured it out at 
around 16, I was in high school and everyone puts a lot of pressure on you and asking you, where do you want to go to school? What do you want to do with your life? And I had no idea. And so I thought of a couple things. I, I love to cook. And I think winemaking is the exact same as cooking. You're taking different flavors and different components and combining them into one dish or combining them into one wine. I just loved how you could, these flavors and these aromas could make food taste better and could um, be combined to create something beautiful that's floral or fruity um, mixed with the oak. And um, the more I learned about it, the more and more I liked it and really decided, you know what, this is what I want to do. So you associated wine with family and togetherness and how it makes a family unit together and everybody mm -hmm. takes time to slow down and enjoy each other, enjoy the food, enjoy the wine. So you were drawn yeah. to it because it made you feel like home. Yes, exactly. And if you think about it, no one, I mean, I guess some people might, but no one downs a glass of wine fast. No one's in a rush drinking wine. They're swirling the glass, smelling it, trying it. And it really does slow you down. It slows me down in my life too. I mean, and, and that's something that we need more of. I mean, quality time of being slowed down. I mean, we, we've all had to be forced slowed down over the last year, but yeah. when life gets back up and running and it's, and it's back to whatever normal is going to be, we're going to speed back up again. And mm -hmm. enjoying wine is going to be that forced stop of let's, let's uh, slow down and, and enjoy ourselves. Uh -huh. So, so tell us a little bit about what is entailed in making wine. When you had started to explain to me what your job was, I was stunned. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize everything that was involved in it. I didn't realize yeah. how, how labor intensive it was. And of course, I had this mental image, which I'm sure everybody does, is, you know, of I love Lucy stomping around the grapes in her bare feet. Yeah. And that is definitely not this job. So tell us, what is your job? What does your day-to-day -day look like? Well, it's funny because whenever I tell people I'm a winemaker, they're always like, that's so awesome. It seems so nice and they think of it as which it is a prestigious job but I feel like they imagine me on a magazine cover you know using a thief and getting wine out of a barrel and putting it in a glass swirling the glass smelling it and yes that's a winemaker's job but there's a lot of behind the scene things that winemakers do that I don't think consumers really know or understand. And especially at a winery, I work at Oak Farm Vineyards in Lodi and it's a, you know, small to medium sized winery. So my job changes every single day. At the beginning of harvest, it's a lot of walking every couple rows in the vineyard and tasting the grapes. It's cool because when you taste the grapes, those are the flavors and aromas that you find in the glass later on. So you're tasting, you know, a Sauve Blanc to see if you taste pyrazines, green characteristics, or fruity notes. So that's one of my favorite parts. And I would say that is a, a clean part of the job. <laughs> outside and you're in nature. And I love that part. Um, but then That sounds very serene. And it sounds, yeah. you know, like something that you would see maybe in a movie. And yeah that you're just enjoying the beginning parts of wine making yes. and enjoying the grape. 
But yeah. that's that's where the cleanness stops, correct? <laughs> yeah. So then once the grapes are brought in, it's a lot of, you know, carrying heavy buckets up the stairs. We call it a catwalk and pouring um, additives into the tank. It's a lot of cleaning. So every, you know, if you get any yeast or bacteria that's not wanted in a tank, then that's going to affect your final product. So sanitizing and cleaning everything. Uh, Before harvest starts, every single tank is clean. During harvest, we probably clean each tank because we use them multiple times, you know, five to 10 times. Sanitizing hoses, hooking hoses together, dragging hoses. And these are all things I didn't learn at Cal Poly um, in my wine, you know, classes. I learned them from internships and I learned them from experience. But I'm covered in water, covered in wine. I go inside the press and clean the press when at the end of the day. The actual physical press that presses the grapes. Yes. I'm sure that that is a huge messy <laughs> job. That it's just, I mean, you've got, you basically have grape juice and grape skins all over the place. And there's yeah. no avoiding getting it on you because I'm sure it's everywhere. Yeah. In my closet, I have a section for work clothes or harvest clothes and then normal clothes. And I don't (laughs) wear them not for that job because uh, my work clothes get really dirty and uh, lots of wine stains on them. Uh, I'll I'll bet. And I'm sure that if anybody knows how to get wine stains out, it's you. But at (laughs) some point, it's like, why bother if you're just going to do it all over again the next day? Yeah. Walking in the vineyard, cleaning, um, analyzing the grapes. I do a lot of lab analysis. So that's Um, in the lab running, you know, the sugar levels in the wine, the acid levels in the wine, the nitrogen levels in the wine. And that all kind of tells you what you need to add to the wine, gives you analysis to figure out how the wine's going to taste and if you need to change anything about that wine. So how would you change it if you were in and you were testing it and said, hey, the levels aren't right? How do you change it at that point? Um, So every country has different standards on what you can and can't do to wine. Here in the United States, if I pick a grape and the acid's kind of low, so you imagine a vine in the vineyard. As it ripens, so as the days go on, the sugar level increases and the acid level decreases in a grape. And so you want to pick the perfect balance of um, you want enough sugar, because you want enough alcohol in the wine. Also, sugar increases the fruity notes and the ripeness of the grape. Well, sometimes you have to wait a long time and the acid drops. So you're allowed to add tartaric acid, which is the made acid in grapes. You're allowed to add that to your tank and to your wine. So I can measure the acid level and then decide if I want to add any more later on in the winemaking process. So this is how you change, change and create varieties. How you, yeah, or how you make varieties stand apart from each other. You're not That's necessarily fascinating. Yeah, I have no idea. So you, this is how you make one year uh, stand alone from another year. Is that am I understanding yeah. that correctly? Yeah, or how you keep consistency in a sense, because the only thing that you can't, that's not consistent in a year. You know, I can add the same yeast every year. I can, I can add the same products every year, but you can never dictate the weather. So the grapes are never going to taste the exact same. So I can look at analysis from 
the 2019 vintage and then decide, okay, I want the 20 analysis, the acid level, the sugar level, the alcohol to be the exact same because I like that year. So you can kind of tweak those to make them the same as the 19. And also consumers like consistency. So I want you guys to be able to taste the Sauv Blanc. And when we switch vintages, you guys don't know necessarily and continue to like it and continue to drink it. So I hear a lot of this was a good year and this was this was not a good year for the grapes. I, honestly, I don't know what that means because I am just simply a a wine drinker that enjoys wine. I don't know any of the science about behind it. I just know what I like and what I don't like. So tell me, what does that mean? That this year is good and this year is bad. What does that mean? It mostly is determined by the weather and the rain factors. If you have too much rain, then the berries can become big and watery. And sometimes they pop and create molds and rots. If you have too little rain, then the vines struggle and you're not going to get as concentrated fruits. The vine might shut down before the berries fully ripe. Um, so that could be a problem. But we have irrigation systems to help with that. Frost. Luckily in Lodi, we don't get much, much frost. But in Chablis, Burgundy, they get a lot of frost. And so they have fans and heaters and different things to get rid of the frost. But frost can destroy an entire crop. Uh, if it's at the right stage of of berry development. So it just depends on the weather. I mean, this year in, well, I guess last year now, in 2020, uh, there was a bunch of fires in Sonoma and Napa. Well, we luckily didn't have fires here, but we had three weeks of smoke coverage. So there was smoke covering our grapes and there was no sun. Well, no sun means the grapes aren't ripening. So it was a longer harvest, and I wouldn't say it was the best harvest ever. I'm tasting the wines, and they taste great, but it wasn't a stellar year because of that problem. So how has the droughts affected your grape growing? Because you're, California is just now starting to dig itself out of droughts, and you're saying that weather is a huge factor in the production of wine and how it tastes and, and what kind of result you'll have. So how has the, the last several years of drought affected the, the grapes and the, and the wine producing? Um, luckily, a lot of vineyards have irrigation systems. And those irrigation systems allow you to put water on the grapes and they control it in a very precise way. And so you're not, you know, overwatering the grapes. You're also not using an ex excess amount of water. Um, it's, it's called drip irrigation and it drips onto each vine. And a lot of people use that and still are able to get enough water to the grapes. But vineyards that don't have irrigation systems struggle with, um, like I said earlier, the vine not fully developing because it doesn't have enough water, it doesn't have enough energy. And so you're going to get berries that, you know, get to a certain bricks level and stop because they have no more nutrients and um, the vine's ready to shut down, it's tired. And so you just um, maybe get a lower alcohol wine, you don't get as much of the fruitiness, you get more of the green pyrazine, kind of like when you taste a grape that's underripe, it's a little sour, maybe more of those characteristics. So it's definitely a struggle 
to try and maintain because you can't control the weather. Mm-hmm. So you've given us a really good idea of of what's all involved in winemaking and the physicality mm-hmm. of it and the cleaning and yeah. all this not very glamorous work that goes into making mm-hmm. something so beautiful. And I had said in the beginning that you hold a job that historically has been held by men because of the physical work. But you are you are in your mid twenties. You are a, you know, you're not a very big female, but you there you are whole, you know hauling hoses and you know working with the grapes and hauling the grapes. How has your male counterparts responded to you having such a physical job? I've been very fortunate in the places that I've worked. I've I've worked at six different wineries doing internships. I've never really seen any demeanor of being a female in the wine industry and people looking down upon that. But I think that's because of two things. And the first would be because of the females before me and um, the people, you know, 15 years ago that started in the wine industry that were females. I think they got a little bit more of that problematic situations and they've really built a a way for me in the wine industry. In Lodi, we have probably seven to 10 female winemakers, maybe more. Um, And I know, you know, six or seven of them really well. And they have been one, they have been people that straight away when I entered in the wine industry have come up to me and been like, we're so happy you're here. Um, If you ever need anything, if you need help, let us know. Um, And so other female winemakers have been very nice and very generous and supportive of me. And I think they've helped pave the way. I think that that is an, an amazing example of everything that we're trying to do, which is making sure that we're paving the way and helping the females that are coming up behind us and make it a little bit, make the, the road a little bit uh, smoother for them and maybe the experience uh, not so difficult. You're going to struggle regardless, but maybe you won't struggle with the same yes. things. And also, I've had a passion for winemaking my whole life. I and, and since my first internship, I still had time to back out of the industry. I saw what the job entailed, but I had a passion and I was willing to work hard. And I think if you have those two things and you show the people you're working with, you know, I don't mind cleaning. I don't mind jumping in this tank. I don't mind moving these hoses. I don't mind lifting up barrels. Then they're going to respect you. And I think I gained the respect of my coworkers really early on and showed them that it doesn't matter what gender I am, I can do this job. This episode is sponsored by Belleville Capital Management. When you need a friend in the small business arena, reach out to Belleville for your planning, lending, and investment needs. A friendly consultant will help you find the solutions that you are looking for. Belleville Capital Management, a friend to small business. Well, I think that that makes all the difference in the world that you put your passion in there. And and it's absolutely obvious that you have a passion for your job and that you're willing to do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to get your job done. That's really hard to argue with, regardless of who you are, what you are. Uh, That's really a hard thing to say, I'm not going to let her just because she's a girl. So I think that that is I think that's an amazing testament to you and to your dedication, but also to the females that have been there supporting you and mentoring you and help, you know, 
make the wine industry as a whole just a, a little bit more diverse and robust and allow some different points of view in the winemaking process. And I I will be the first to admit, I still ask for help all the time. You know, I'm not going to get hurt at work because I'm too stubborn to ask for help. So lifting up 50-pound bags of cleaning solution onto a shelf, I'm like, I always ask my coworkers, help me with this. Or when you get a chance, I need your help because I can't do everything by myself. Well... That, that's good to be self-aware because, you know, we're not, not all great at recognizing when we need help. Mm-hmm. So I, I give credit to you in recognizing, yeah, maybe I need some help with this so I don't hurt myself. So, so you had, uh, you had said that you have many mentors around you that you've been very fortunate with being surrounded and welcomed by other females in your industry. And, and in your introduction, you had said to me that you want to be the best female winemaker. What does that mean to be the best female winemaker? Um, I think there's a couple of things. And I would say first is you never know everything when you're a winemaker. There's always things to learn and there's always, you know, different stylistic goals that people have. And I just want to learn as much as I can And not necessarily be the best, but be the best I can be. So I am, I was in a judging competition this past weekend. So I'm out there meeting other people, trying wines in the industry and, you know, seeing what's diverse and what's not. I'm taking the WSET level two test. I'm studying for the level three. So I'm learning about other wine regions around the world and what varieties grow best there and why. And just gaining knowledge to help me become a better winemaker here in Lodi, hopefully be able to mentor other females in the wine industry and show them that anything's possible and doesn't matter your age or your gender, but you can do it. Yeah, I think that that is, like I said before, that is exactly what we should be doing is educating ourselves, making that, making us the best that we can be, the best individual, whom, the best individual Sierra, the best individual Audra, to be the best that we can be. And as I've gotten older, I have found that the competition isn't really with other women. Yeah. It's with myself. How do, how do you feel about that? I, I think I agree. I mean, I'm doing many things and not because I have to do them. Like I'm taking test, wine tests for fun. Like who wants to take a wine test for fun? <laughs> no one's asked me to do this, but it's something that I, you know, I want to do for myself. And so it's just, I just don't like to not be learning. So it's like, let's keep learning and let's keep um, making myself a better winemaker and myself a better person. I don't think there's ever an end point, just doing things to not get bored. Well, the moment you stop learning, is the moment that you've decided that you're going to stop growing. And, you know, and at that point, I think you've decided that you've given up and you've you've given in. And because there's always something new to learn. And I think that it's wonderful that you are taking that opportunity to educate yourself with whatever comes. And and it sounds like winemaking is not unlike anything else, which is constantly evolving. Yeah. Is that is that accurate with with the evolution of wine? Yeah, there's always, I mean, just 
we were already talking about weather, but different weather changes, but also there's new equipment, there's new machines, there's always new yeast coming out and new additive products and just keeping up with the trends of consumers, honestly. Right now it's going towards canned wine or bagged wine um, because everyone's doing outdoor activities. So it's just keeping up with the trends of the world. I hadn't even thought of that because people's palates change. I would say one of the hardest parts of my job is not making wines I enjoy to drink. Oh, interesting. I love super earthy, light wines that when you taste them, you taste the vineyard. And I picture myself walking through the vineyard when I drink it. Whereas there's a lot of consumers out there that like very big, jammy, oaky, sugary wines. And it's not a bad thing. Everyone's palate's different. And I always tell people, if you enjoy it, drink it. But it's hard for me to wrap my head around some of the wines that we make here at Oak Farm. Um, and also critique it because I I drink it and I'm like, I don't love it. But I have to critique it and analyze it as if I do like it. Yeah, that's a tough spot. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Oak Farm. So what kind of wines are you making um, there at the vineyard? So Oak Farms is a pretty unique winery. Um, it's a family-owned winery in Oak Farm. Started in 2010, so about 11 years ago. And I came on in 2017. So this is my fourth year here. I started as an intern, moved to assistant winemaker, and then now I'm winemaker here. And we have 70 acres of grapes and about 14 different varieties on the property. So I love it because I'm not making, you know, the same variety 15 different ways. I'm not just making Chardonnay and Pinot. I'm making 25 different wines, anywhere from an Italian grape variety called Fiano to um, a Petite Syrah, a Barbera, a Cabernet, a couple red blends. Um, so all over the board, many different varieties. See, in that way, even though it may not be a variety that you like, you're never bored because you get to change mm-hmm. it up all the time. And that goes back to you know me wanting to always be learning and growing. I get to work with all of these varieties and they're all made in different ways and different styles. And so it's always fun and I'm doing something different every single day. So that it goes to continuing to push yourself and grow and challenge yourself in making something different and maybe making it in a different way every every mm-hmm. single day. Wanna first of all thank you for joining us today and giving us some insight into winemaking and that it's it's not all glamorous. Let's walk through the, the vineyard and sniff the grapes. That is that is just a tiny little part of your entire job, which is very dirty, very physical, but most definitely worth it. Because as you have said, it contributes to gathering people together, making people happy, and just slowing down and enjoying themselves for just a mm-hmm. moment. So Sierra, if if the audience wanted to reach out to you and get more information or even perhaps visit visit the wine uh, the vineyard or even purchase some wine, yes. where would they get access to? Um, so Oak Farm Vineyards, there's an S on the end.com. That is the website. And my email is on the website, um, but it's Sierra at Oak Farm Vineyards.com. And if you ever want to 
visit or contact me, feel free to send me an email or send the winery an email. Um, we're here. I can stop in, by in the tasting room and say hi. Um, that sounds fantastic. So before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to leave a final thought with the audience about your winemaking, your career, or your your future endeavors. Don't let people hold you back or tell you otherwise. Really just follow your heart and what you want to do with life, and I think you can achieve it. Thank you, Sierra. Thank you for giving us that piece of advice. I know that there are many, many people that are still examining what they wanted to do and that there's so many options now. Mm -hmm. There's literally nothing you can't do. And thank you for being a fantastic example of that, of being someone that has passion for something and chasing it and making it their profession. So thank you for being such a wonderful example and being a guest with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. To all of you, thank you so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you again next time. That's our show. I want to send a special thank you out to our guests for being so generous with their experiences and their stories, as well as our sponsors so they can allow us to continue to tell these stories. I also want to say a special, special thank you to all of you, this community that we have been building one person at a time so we can endeavor to change the world one interview at a time. I could not do any of this without your support, and for that, I am forever grateful. I look forward to doing this again, so we'll see you all next week. so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me, and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you, and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. 
We'll see you next time. 